Hey, what's up all you cats and kittens and dogs and puppies out there? This is Dave coming at you from the sound studio right here in Fort Collins. We got a, a nice episode for you and we recorded this about a week ago, the night before the big election. Yep. The one between Donald J and Joey B and we had a, a man on the ground. We had Mike Bishop out there in Washington, DC and you can just sort of feel how tense we were during this episode. And we were just waiting, waiting to see what the world was going to bring us. And we got some great results over the last week and we're sitting at the cusp of a new world. And I just wanted to pre prequel this show because our audio quality is not up to the standards, but that's okay. We're going to keep pushing to get better and better. And we're hoping that you're going to enjoy the show, but I'm going to, I got Julie Peachtree right here next to me, and I'm going to ask her a couple questions. How are you doing tonight, Julie? I'm feeling great. Happy to be back in the sound studio. Thanks for having me, Dave. Nice. All right, Julie, two questions for you. Any big results from Colorado that you want to share out with the world? You know, there was a really fascinating um, bill around reintroducing the gray wolf, and I, I have not looked up how that fared. I'm really curious to see, but I currently don't know. Hmm. All right. Yeah. I don't know either. And my second question for you tonight, Julie, is I want a bold prediction in the next three months as Donald J is getting, giving it over to Joey B. I want to know one bold prediction from you. What's going to happen in these next three months. Joey B is going to paint the white house and it's not going to be white. Oh, I doubt that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that is bold indeed. The purple house. that has a nice ring to it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, man. We could use some of that. Well, Julie, thanks for being here. Love you guys. Hope you enjoy the episode. And we'll see you next week with some more thriving. Bye, y'all. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Here we are. Three very different places of the world. And we're recording for Thriving and my God, how, how are you two doing today, November 2nd, day before the election? Start with uh, you, Mike. How are you, Mike? Oh, man. Uh, I'm kind of on the edge of my seat in, uh, in a lot of ways. I, I took a big trip to fly from Hawaii to D.C. to kind of be here for this week. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've just put so much thought and energy and work into trying to make a difference and you know, we've got one more day. Dang. Yeah. Um, I am so excited to hear about your last week, Mike. Um, for the for the listeners out there, we got kind of caught up last week and we're recording a little bit late. We're recording on Monday night, November 2nd. And I'm pretty excited because... Um, Mike took this big trip out to DC and I'm just so interested to hear some of his reflections from the week. 
And for those diehard listeners, Mike is our, what is it, episode 13 organ donor, if you don't uh, remember. <laughs> I think it was nine, episode nine. Episode nine? We talked about organ donation on episode nine? Man. <laughs> wow. We were really trying to lose an audience base there, right? <laughs> just kidding. Um, and yeah, we're hoping just to get right on into it today, mostly because... We're recording a little bit late, and yeah, I'm excited just to get into it with Mr. Michael Bishop and hear from him. So anyways, I'm doing good. I went on a run, and that is always like the best news that you can have post-work day, you know? That's true, Dave. Yeah, thank you for that um, context. I, that does really help. Sorry, I just fired right right into it tonight, and yeah, a little bit of framing and where we're all coming from. Is, is very valuable and yeah I, I i don't know if maybe i do also want to set the context around what we want to get out of checking in with each other today um like I'm, i am just really interested in hearing from all three of us like where we are in the world and how we're feeling and what we're what's going through our minds on the day before the election and yeah, if possible, like talking again after the election, um, where our head's at with all of that as well. And um, yeah, so maybe all three of us can just say what today was like for them and how they're feeling about going tomorrow and any plans. What are the, the plans for tomorrow? Um, Mike's in DC and, you know, like, actually, I think maybe we could build towards Mike since my you did you took that massive trip and at the center of the beast um so yeah maybe actually makes more sense for me to start and then dave and and then go to mike sure bob cool um i just want to share that it's really hard to not focus on the election and has been for the past couple of days if not weeks you know and something I hate doing. I hate that it takes up so, so much of my bandwidth. Um, that's not where I want to be thinking about social change. Um, and, but nonetheless, it's, it's here. And what I've been trying to do is partake in these pre- prevention of coup trainings that are going on across the country. I, I went yesterday and I went last Sunday as well. Um, and for our listeners, there's a network, there's a few networks, one of which is can go to the website, choose democracy to learn more about this and to how you can participate. And um, they were good trainings, mostly around like nonviolent tactics and working in affinity groups. Um, and I appreciated them. And I, I hope that we don't get to that point where we need that. Um, and I also know that a resource that Dave shared with me is like, no matter which way the election turns out, either a landslide for either or a close victory for either will lead to like likely more violence in some way. Um, so it's like a, like no election before really. I haven't, I've never felt this way before an election. Um, so that definitely shows what Chomsky said about this being one of the most, if not the most uh, important election in world history which seems U.S. centric, but it also might also be true. Um, so yeah, I'm just gonna like, 
want, I want to be really connected tomorrow, just talking with both of you, talking with all my friends and family. just want to be connected tomorrow. That's my goal. Um, and see what happens. So that's where I'm at. Um, and hit you, Dave, and then you can pass the mic. Sure. Yeah. Wait, Bob. Bob, do you have uh, any quick tips from the? Yeah. I think the biggest thing is like for our listeners. Just, the first thing is do whatever we can to pressure all of society to count the vote, and so that can look like having your union make a stance. Um, there, there are like pledges out there saying, and you can find one at Choose Democracy. Like, you will strike if the vote does all the votes don't get counted. So. Um, society has to, um, say no, no business as usual until every single vote is counted. And of course we know that the current president is indicating that he's going to try to stop that and cause chaos before every vote can get counted. So, um, yeah, there's more ideas. Um, but that's kind of like the big scope and we can get, we can get more into that too later on as well. Nice. I like that. Yeah, I am reminded of four years ago, and I was living in Vermont, and I remember going to bed because I tend to go to bed pretty early, and you know the election happens right after daylight savings time, so I'm all thrown off. And I remember like being like, "Ah, I'm just gonna go to bed," and you know, in the morning, I'll wake up and we'll see Hillary. And I remember waking up and googling who won, and the idea that. You know, I was like, oh, Google must be playing a joke. There's no way that Donald Trump actually won. And yeah, so that was four years ago. And the last, you know, it's just been a blackout since. Um, no, not really. I just like, I feel like I'm trying to reset my expectation. Like we're recording this Monday night, election day is tomorrow. And I feel like, we wanted to like have this out or like have like a little episode out before election day for people to listen to. But I'm also like, this is something that will be worth listening to because this is going to be an election like no other, because I don't think we're going to know tomorrow night who's the president who will be the next president. You know, this is everybody says that we need to like, not, we need to not like fall into the idea that like, Donald Trump is going to declare himself president tomorrow night, like in 24 hours. And hopefully that won't, that won't take, you know, that's not going to ha- we're not going to like stand for that. So I'm hoping that when people are actually listening to this episode in a week or so, that we're still in a, like a place where there's work left to be done and holding people accountable feels like where we need to be. And I don't really know what that looks like because I haven't done much research. Like I have like the election's been on my mind a lot, but I'm also been like so busy with my own, like just teaching and like what it, you know, how to be there for, you know, the, the elementary school kids and how I can be a, it's just like takes my full energy. So it's been kind of nice to be honest with you that I'm not like full on every day with these kids and with, or that I am full on every day with these kids. So I'm not feeling like so easily pulled out of that and into 
not that I don't want to focus on the world, but I, I just feel like the more I focus on it, the more nervous and anxious I get. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'll throw it over to Mr. Michael Bishop. Yeah, Dave, I hear you with like only having a limited amount of energy or focus to split between the day to day and also being there for other people and paying attention to what's going on. And I, I think the more that you get sucked into the doom scrolling and just feel powerless, um, it's just an awful feeling. Like, yeah, like my anxiety and feelings of powerlessness have probably never been higher than in like the past couple of months. But for me, the antidote has been action. And yeah, I'm still in grad school. This is like my second to last semester. I'm working on a thesis. I've submitted a draft of it. And, you know, I'm trying to produce worthwhile art. And I'm teaching undergraduate students during the pandemic. And, you know, they're having their own unparalleled quantity of, you know, micro crises and um, just the pressure to be there for them is immense. And yeah, finally I had to, I, I made this decision that if I don't put as much effort and time into this election as I can, then I, I knew that I, it was something that I would regret, you know? So I signed up for text team and did some phone banking and been donating strategically and um yeah the culmination of that for me was was to come here and to to witness this moment in history and i think the event that really put me over the edge was when ruth bader ginsburg passed away and i think it was that same night you know they started talking about replacing her and um yeah, just like the fact that so many people's rights and so much justice that took generations to accomplish was was tied to this one, the life of this one woman. Uh, it's just it's so frightening to see kind of how fragile everything is. So, yeah, I, I don't know, I... I still might end up doing more texting or phone banking in the morning, you know, because there's a, a point in time when the polls start closing, then there's, there's not much else we can do to change the outcome. We can protect what has already happened and that's going to be a whole different battle. And that the prospect of that dragging on for weeks is really intimidating and draining. Um, but I, I'm a little bit optimistic about tomorrow, to be honest with you. I've looked at uh, New York Times had a, a good article breaking down when all of the votes were going to be coming in and when they would expect to have announcements, particularly in the swing states. And I mean, the polls are just, the polls are great. I mean, I, I don't want to put too much faith in that, which is why I'm still going to you know, run through the finish line, so to speak, and, you know, send out another thousand text messages or whatever in the morning. And, um, yeah, I just, there's, uh, so my plan for tomorrow 
there's a a big event at Black Lives Matter Plaza organized by Shutdown DC. And they're working with like all of these other organizations, uh, Sunrise, uh, all these climate justice organizations, um, local Black Lives Matter. And yeah, it's going to be a peaceful community, nonviolent. You know, there's a lot of performers and artists there. So it's somewhere between a celebration and uh, preparing resistance. But I don't quite know what to expect. And yeah, this this moment feels um, both hopeful and, and terrifying, I guess. And I'm here until the 8th. I flew out here on Halloween under the blue moon and um, they're just like all these auspicious circumstances that sort of compelled me to come out here. And um, Yeah, it's been interesting being here so far. I went to some of the Smithsonian museums the last couple of days. Um, yeah, there's a lot to tell. Um, I don't know if I should dive into all that stuff yet, but yeah, um, I guess I'm I'm super curious to hear what your 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 last three days have been like. Um, I'm also yeah, just impressed with that because I I feel a lot of the same feelings that are coming up, and that idea of action being one of those cure alls for the the anxious or the like when you feel like you're hopeless that idea of action bringing hope back and i love that i feel like i'm i think it's great how much work you put on put down on the ground and i think that we need that that is like something that's super important and i'm also yeah super curious to just sort of hear about the vibe of what dc's been like and um, it's cool to know that you're going to go to BLM Plaza tomorrow. And But I'm just, yeah, has there been other, like, noticeable things? Are there a lot of people there? And, yeah, more just what your general impressions have been like. Yeah, I'm into that too. Um, I guess in terms of, like, finding the optimism to act, I mean, that all comes from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yes. I mean... And to, to a degree, that comes from politicians like Bernie Sanders. Because uh, in both cases, they were just like monotonous, nose to the grindstone for decades, just doing what they could against whatever resistance was going to be in their way. And you know there's going to be resistance, but just because you know there's going to be resistance doesn't mean that should stop you from trying. I mean, we can look back 40 years and see Bernie Sanders' speeches on the floor of Congress talking about the exact same things he ran his 2016 and 2020 presidential campaigns on. So, I don't know. I hope I hope that I'm continuing to like take steps towards something that I can sustain for a lifetime. Um, but, yeah, when I, so when I first got here, um, I had an amazing uber ride i flew into baltimore so i had about an hour ride to get to dc and uh, my driver was this man named olu and he's from lagos nigeria he said he's been here for eight years 
And he was just like astoundingly well-informed and educated on all of the politics that are going on. And um, he he's really into this notion that capitalism and globalism was the fatal marriage. Because when those two ideologies come together, it just sort of creates this upward funnel of the people that already have power are then able to just kind of pillage everyone else in the world. And um, yeah. yeah, it was great to just land and get dropped right into that. And on the show, it sounds like conversation huh? with this guy. Yeah. I actually left my contact information with him. He, he was interested <laughs> in uh, writing a book Amazing. of all things. <laughs> Um, so that night, yeah, that was Halloween night and I kind of checked into the hotel and, um, God, what did I do? I I think I walked down to the national mall. I wanted to like watch the, the full moon rise. And, uh, it was about a 15 minute walk for me to get down there and, uh, on the National Mall, there's this spot called, like, what is it called? It's called Dave's Tent or something like that. And it's like a little worship thing going on. So they're playing some music and, I don't know, having some kind of religious gathering. But off in the distance, I could hear this, like, you know, really, really loud music, deep bass. So I'm wandering down, wandering down the National Mall. The Capitol building's behind me. The blue moon's rising now. It's kind of a overcast night. And uh, there's like a full concert soundstage set up. And uh, I think I was texting you about this, Bob. But yeah, there was like a, a whole crowd on stage. And they had this area fenced off. Uh, and there were, you know, Trump flags everywhere. And it was sort of this, like, um, I don't know, like church rock kind of thing with with preaching in between. And it was, I I don't know if this was the first time, but, like, the the moment really finally dawned on me when, when I realized, like, there are millions of people in this country that believe that we are already living under a theocracy. And that Joe Biden is the Antichrist and, you know, Donald Trump is actually this savior-like figure. And so it was just so bizarre to have that be the first, like, noticeable thing that happened to me here in D.C. So Halloween night, yeah. That's pretty dystopian right Trump there. Trump concert That's pretty wild. in the middle of the National Mall. Cool. Yeah. That point about like so many people, yeah, just around so many people believe that we're living in a theocracy. We all live in bubbles where we don't see that, or I think we do. Maybe Mike sees that more than we do. Um, it's profound situation. Yeah, that no, no matter which way this election goes, it's going to be these deeper problems won't go away. But yeah, mm. continue, Mike, around like the things that you're seeing. I'm, I'm interested in like, have you met any other kindred spirits or other activist type things going on? Um, yeah, the BLM thing tomorrow sounds really cool. 
yeah so the the rest of the night on halloween like i i hung out there and watched this concert for a while i was just kind of you know i was kind of like in in disbelief or in shock or whatever but um yeah then i wanted to just kind of wander around and uh, at the Washington Monument, you know, it's Halloween, so there's a bunch of groups of young folks out, and some of them in costumes. And apparently, the big thing to do is to sit with your legs pointed up the Washington Monument as close to it as you can, and then take a picture of your feet with this just this endless path of white stone towering away from you. I guess that's what all the Instagrammers are doing these days. <laughs> um, and yeah, then I, I wandered the National Mall, went to the the World War II monument, and and then circled around and was headed back towards my hotel and made a, a loop past the White House. And there's not a ton of people out. Um, and honestly, the White House at this point looks like the barricaded fortress of like a third world dictator or something. It's just like this militarized compound, several blocks in every direction. There's barriers put up and just tons of police everywhere. Um, and then all of Lafayette Park is closed off. And there's, you know, a 10 foot high black chain link fence. And that entire thing has been covered with Black Lives Matter posters and messages and so I was walking back past that and you know there's a small group of of folks out that night and um yeah like just the juxtaposition between the White House and this militarized exclusion of the public and all of these people who are just trying to to get humane treatment. Yeah, really that's another good little scene to kind of place ourselves, our imagination into. I it reminds me of like I don't know. I guess it's 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 a reminder of all that walled off, right? The wall between them and us, and the one percent, and the ninety nine percent, and the the those the the haves and the have nots, you know, and I feel like I I feel that that people those people on the other side of the fence, I'm kind of sick of that, you know, <laughs> and I want to I want to find a way to take that fence down and to take the power away and then put it into the hands of the ninety nine percent and the to find a way to do that. And I guess the other thing that I've been thinking about, not to totally interject on your storytelling, Mike, but like how much better is it going to get with Biden? You know, like I'm, I'm just, sometimes I think that like we're fighting and rooting for this so hard and I'm so with you. I'm also like, man, I'm just like, damn it. Like, why did, why is it Biden? Why can't it be Bernie? But I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to go down that path too much right now. Sorry. I don't mean to take us down that path. No, I think it's I think it's important to to express those feelings and like in a lot of ways 
after this election is decided, you know, a different type of work begins. Um, I, I believe that Biden, you know, to me, he'll be incomparably better. Um, and he's, he's also a bit of a, a weather vane politically. He, he's changed his views in, in accordance with the, the times. He's evolved. Uh, and I think there's going to be immense pressure on him, first and foremost, to do something about the climate crisis. Um, and so on that aspect alone, I think that's that's something to be excited about. And yeah, I, I'm with you. There's news that he's like considering appointing Republicans in his cabinet. It's just like, oh, my God. That's the last thing that we need. No, I'm with you. There's like uh, definitely issues. Like I'm like, if no matter what, you, there's like things like climate, right? There's things like abortion and women's right to choose. There's things like immigration that will be so much better under Biden. And of course, there'll be things like the militarization of the police that are going to carry on as they have carried on, you know, under Clinton, under Obama, under Biden. Those, those things will carry on in the same way. But there's so many like little slash um, massive things that will be able to hold Biden accountable for and that he'll actually have to make some moves in a direction that is towards the benefit of the world and towards the um, benefit of the people that live in it. So, yeah, those are the things that I'm like holding on to and or like the Supreme Court. Right. I mean. I don't think anyone's going to die anytime soon, but I feel like it is important to have like what's happened to the Supreme court in the last four years has been a travesty and yeah, really sad. Yeah. I think, I think what's, what's happened is that we're witnessing what happens when the checks and balances system of government has been completely broken. Um, you know, I think Mitch McConnell has done more to just sort of break the levers of power uh, than anyone else that's responsible for where we are now, like between gerrymandering and voter suppression and stacking the courts and all of these things that he's done just out of, you know, realpolitik, pure power play, no diplomacy. Uh, that's going to leave a, a lot of problems that we cannot undo overnight. But I think with changing demographics and, you know, even Trump himself said that if I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said that if everyone voted, a Republican would never win an election again. And they know that, which is why they're doing all of these things to throw out voter rolls and hijack the postal service and they're trying everything they can to steal one last election i don't think it's going to work yeah it's uh they definitely are they're like a total dying dinosaur trying to hold on to anything possible and you know honestly like that's all they have so of course they're going to do that I wouldn't expect anything else out of the Republican Party besides like a full-on power grab coup, and especially from Trump. 
Um, it does scare me. It scares me, um, you know, enough to participate in these preventing of coup things and um, because there's no other path forward um, for them. Well, I guess there is the path forward of maybe enough propaganda can have them win Pennsylvania and, you know, pull an upset like they did four years ago. Um, it certainly is still possible, according to 538. So there's that. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's like a, I voted for Biden in the end, and I, I hated doing that. Um, but it was, uh, you know, I hate Trump so much, but it was actually the coronavirus handling, like watching that movie totally under control, which is a documentary about Trump's awful handling of the coronavirus. I'm like, God, I hate this so goddamn much. And that even if Biden is like mm, just neutral or like doesn't do much, at least he's not actively trying to spread coronavirus, which is what Trump is trying to do. Um, and yeah. So anyways, this is all to say, like, I, I really hope that, you know, the left and the coalition of electing Biden has done enough and then it will be important to keep the fire on because Biden and Harris are definitely both corporate Democrats and Wall Street is very connected to the oil industry and those extractive industries um, in the military. So how to move corporate Democrats to actually take strong positions on the environment. Maybe, maybe, I mean, Biden's environment plan is impressive, like better than I thought it would be for sure. Um, so there is the possibility. And so that's exactly what we need. We need the possibility because obviously with Trump, we don't have the possibility of survival. Yeah, he's, he's just trying to maximize extraction profits and maximize oil use, uh, you know, deregulate every polluting industry. Um, and yeah, maybe, maybe that's why I chose that as the one point of biggest difference between the two but yeah the coronavirus is it's like the most botched handling of anything that a politician has like has ever done it's it's just crazy he knew what was happening and he downplayed it because he was afraid it was going to hurt him and then it just spiraled out of control and that's going to be his downfall it's totally yeah going i really hope so him. i agree with you um i'm also curious to hear like I'm not totally up to date on where we're polling at, but I'm also curious to hear some predictions from you guys, just like sort of a gut check to sort of, uh, yeah, just looking into the next few days. Like, what do you, what do you guys foresee? I feel like you both have sort of the, the pulse of the nation. You both have a good beat onto what's going on. And I'm, I'd be curious to hear where you guys see this going? Yeah, I really appreciate that question, Dave. Yeah, and I think it's it's good to ask because I do. I think I overfollow these things, and just based on following these things closely, gives one a, um, a prediction. But also, of course, that's 
you know, some people like Dave, you, you might have great predictions just based on your gut. You know, sometimes I, I believe in that epistemology, if you will, as well. But what my feelings are is that Biden has a strong and consistent lead and has, you know, for a long time, like a nine point, um, like overall lead. Um, it comes down to battleground states and Biden looks to be doing a lot better than Clinton did in Michigan and um, Wisconsin at least. And then he's doing better than Clinton was doing everywhere. Um, so actually there is a potential of a big election. He, he could win Texas even and Florida. So um, that is possible and that would be wonderful and amazing. Um, so then, yeah, you have to look at each state and the, the different types of voter suppression that's happening in each state. Um, and so, but yeah, it, it's different. You know, it's around like fewer polling places to, uh, you know, Proud Boys, you know, intimidating and going after voters and um, going to polling places. So I think, and then also like probably, you know, if based on the movie, The Social Dilemma, there's probably a lot of social media dissimulation, like propaganda basically. And I have heard of that directed at the Latinx community um, to try to get votes for um, Trump. So that stuff scares me for sure. Um, so I would predict um, it come, I really think it comes down to Pennsylvania, like that's the biggest bellwether of which way this election will go. And so, and Pennsylvania is on the East coast and it's um, one of these States where they couldn't start counting uh, mail-in ballots until tomorrow at 7am. So they're not going to have everything until, um, you know, much later. Um, and, you know, Pennsylvania has like huge urban centers that are progressive and mostly people of color, like, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. And so it's like, it's going to start red, but then it will go blue. But I think Trump's going to want to call it while it's red, you know? Um, so that scares me. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have quite enough sense of like how well Joe Biden has lawyered up and all that stuff. And like, which institutions will like really go to bat for Biden and, um, and like, I don't know, like the, I don't quite understand, you know, I, it used to seem like NBC and Fox called elections, but they're really, I guess, talking with uh, um, some organizations that certify the elections at the state level and then later on. So I'm just hoping, I'm crossing my fingers that, okay, I should say, first of all, I think Biden will definitely win um, in the general by more than Clinton. And I think he'll eventually win most of those battleground states in spite of the suppression. Um, but I just, so that's why voting, like counting all the votes matters so much. Um, so that's my thinking. And I don't know which way things will go on all that. Um, and I'm just hoping they go well, but preparing for the worst. Yeah, Bob, you made some excellent, excellent points there that I think really kind of highlight just how messed up this moment is. And, you know, we, we, there hasn't been an election that's seven times since 1960. The election has not been decided on election night. 
and yet Trump is already sort of concocting this narrative that it's like an egregious criminal act for the election to carry on beyond Tuesday night. And it's just insane. Like it's, it's a flat out lie. It has no basis. In fact, there's evidence to counteract it. But the problem is that, like you said, he's able to amplify these lies through social media. And I think that's just really uh, an existential threat to democracy as we know it, is to remove all of the barriers to publication. So you're removing all sorts of peer review and editorial boards, and you're giving a, a microphone and a soapbox to anyone and then they don't censor or review content or fact check enough. And like you said, there's already a bunch of misinformation getting out there on Facebook and Twitter. Like, imagine what this situation would be like if Trump didn't have a Twitter account. You know, Twitter's a privately owned company that is making an immense amount of money off of the president's shenanigans, Facebook as well. And this is just such a this is going to be a make or break moment for democracy and for those companies. And I think if the Democrats sweep, which I think they will, um, you know, Nate Silver says Biden has an 89% chance of winning. Democrats have a 75% chance of flipping the Senate and a 97% chance of holding the house. And, you know, we all, we've all played some poker in our days and, <laughs> I take those odds any day of the week and go all in on all of them. Um, that's not to say that that's what's going to happen. He was wrong. Well, he gave he gave Trump a higher chance at winning in 2016 than most other pollsters did. Um, but yeah, the timing of it is going to be early on. Bob, you said there's almost no avoiding violence, no matter which way this thing goes. And I think if Biden wins one of the big ones on election night, if he wins Texas or something like that, that's going to drastically minimize the shenanigans and the violence. And um, If we're sitting around waiting for Ohio, which might take until November 28th, I really hope that doesn't turn out to be a critical quantity of electoral votes. Um, yeah, cause I, I've been, uh, I've been burning the candle at both ends with the assumption that this will end at some point, you know, I can kind of collapse and recollect and just, you know, become a normal human being again. Oh, I don't know if yeah, I can do this for I another hear, I hear weeks. that. Oh, it feels yeah, like it's all yeah. coming to a head. Sorry. Go ahead, yeah. Bob. What it what what of the things that Mike and I have said like strike you as being like important or what are you thinking about in the next few days? I guess I I like the idea there's a lot of hope in those numbers and I like holding on to that because I feel like that's kind of where we're at and I really like the idea of like if Biden wins Texas, I feel like there is that idea that like hey maybe the violence can be minimized or like maybe the like the peaceful transfer, like if it's a blowout, you know what I mean? Um. Yeah. Cause if he's, you know, if he, 
if Biden gets like 400 electoral votes or something, no matter how loud Trump is crowing about cheating or whatever, you know, the, at least the Republican establishment or like centrist political figures are going to be like, no, come on, this is the way it works. And those people have a vested interest in making sure that the system still has legitimacy. So I think there's also some hope to be drawn there. Like all of these, you know, national security advisors and retired generals and all of these people who came out and endorsed Biden, you know, those people yeah. care about the functioning. And of I have democracy. this question, a question for you all. Doesn't, you know, I think we all have an analysis of capitalism that it's like, it's not like, it doesn't care about humans. It just cares about the, you know, the building and flow of capital. So it's like a machine, but doesn't it care about like having a world like Trump seems to be running the world into like Trump casino or Trump university, you know, to shit. Um, doesn't even capitalism need someone like Biden to survive? Yeah. Maybe it needs Andrew Yang, huh? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. It is interesting. Like how, Oh yeah. That was another, another thing is like, yeah, I feel like we're the nuclear clock might go back a few minutes or a few seconds, at least if Biden becomes president, because it's like, that's something we, don't talk about very often, but how like we're right on the edge and like the guy that, you know, has the keys to send nuclear missiles is like also can barely manage his own Twitter account without sending nuclear bombs, you know? And I feel like it's, it's not exactly where we want to be. Um, so what was the question, Bob? Oh yeah, just like would wouldn't capitalism and and basically like Wall Street wouldn't they be pushing for Biden? Yeah, yeah, right. To just to have a world left to continue capitalism, right? That's right. Yeah, I love, I love that quote from uh, I don't know who said it, but the the bureaucracy is expanding to meet the needs of the expanding bureaucracy. And I love where I kind of feel like that's where the, the system of capitalism falls for me. It's just like they want more. They want more capitalism. And the, the less world there is, the less exploitation there is, the less capitalism can be. So, yeah, I'm with you, Bob. There, it needs to go back and forth, right? It needs to be for, like, the capitalist system to work. You can't just, like, push it to the max and then just, like, because it, it's going to explode, you know? Well, yeah, I think, I think you're right, Dave. But, and also, Bob, I think, I think you're right. They, power and entrenched money and Wall Street, they want Biden at this point, I think. Um, and that's because Trump has done as much for them as he can possibly do. Like, the tax cuts, just, and like the bungling of the coronavirus, I don't think he bungled it on purpose to enhance the rich. But the fallout from the coronavirus is, you know, magnified by those tax cuts and the, the sort of hoovering up of all of the, the forgivable payday loans. That's going to consolidate so much wealth into the, the large cap companies on all the major stock exchanges. 
And, you know, the stock market was at all time highs. I mean, it's kind of collapsed in the last month. But, um, you know, those companies are doing great, but they don't want to see a world where there's a brink of civil war in the United States in the largest economy on the planet. They don't want to see white supremacists with guns in the streets and, you know, threatening civil war, threatening to overthrow the government. Now that they have that rocket fuel in their bank accounts, interest rates are so low and they have so much money, they're just going to tighten their stranglehold on global commerce. And what they want now is stability. And a blue, a blue wave gives them that because the blue wave is going to enact another stimulus plan for sure. We need it. Um, hopefully the second time around, it will go to you know, working class people and will prop up education and healthcare and childcare and all of the things that are really, really struggling right now, rather than getting funneled into mega cap corporations. So I think they, they realized they just got an enormous gift from this <laughs> kind of psychotic clown. And now it's time to like, you know, usher him right, off the stage. Right alongside and the insane clown posse, wherever they are. <laughs> Ushered off the stage. <laughs> yeah. Dang. I like that analysis. Like, I felt like that was spot on. I'm also um, sort of at the, yeah, just want to sort of throw the question out there if there's any final thoughts that either of you two have. And yeah, maybe think about crossing our fingers and praying a little bit. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I like that start. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I'd love it if, um, yeah, I'll be like um, zooming with like different people um, tomorrow night is like my plan, and just to stay connected and uh, texting folks as well. Um, and I just uh, want us to take care of each other. Curious what you two, where you'll be at, like say five Eastern tomorrow. Um, or like, or maybe when the polls close in the east, it, is that at seven Eastern? And yeah, I think that always seems to be a big moment. And yeah, it the struggle will continue. So it'd be great to record with y'all, with the two of you soon as well. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I'll be just around the house, just sort of bopping from room to room as it goes. <laughs> All right, Dave, I'll get you on the phone. Yeah. I'll give you a, a live play-by-play from BLM Plaza. They're going to have some big screens cool. and they're going to be playing the coverage of it. And uh, Yeah, I, I'm going to be there, I think, for most of the night. And I think, yeah, it'll just be wonderful to be surrounded by, by people who are so invested and who care and activists and... Um, artists and yeah part of what i've been doing since i've been out here is kind of going to these art museums and uh i'd like to write a piece i'm working on this piece sort of playing with the notion of the art of the deal and that of course was the title of trump's ghost written book and the author of that said you know trump's the biggest con man ever and 
So I'm, I'm looking at that through the lens of art and extremely expensive art. And the way that these art, some of these artists got to be so big was all just hype and self-promotion. So in his own way, Trump is, is kind of an artist. Uh, of course, he's a, a con artist. And um, yeah, I, I just think that this is a moment, I really feel this in my heart. This is a moment where America is going to the polls in droves and we're going to rally together and stand up and say, this is not who we are. We've had enough of this. But the thing that maybe I'm the most nervous about is the Senate. If the Senate doesn't flip, it's just going to be years of gridlock. So yeah. get out there and vote and send some texts into Georgia or wherever. Oh, yeah. Well, you <laughs> brought a lot of help to me tonight, so I appreciate yeah, yeah. that. And I'm looking forward to being in touch with you two tomorrow and seeing where where we might head and can't wait to send some hopeful messages back and forth oh man yeah fingers crossed and uh <laughs> nice yeah thanks for all your hard work out there Mike. hope we did enough yeah thank you mike for your inspiration and your journalism and dave thank you for your work with the kids and yep listeners let's hope it's a, a blue country when you're listening to this yeah well well Love you guys, and thanks for the combo tonight. <laughs> yeah, lots of love. Taking baby baby steps towards thriving in dystopia. Bye. What's up, Thriving Crew? Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is In Heaven by Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayetch. Web designed by Chris the Mixer Sawyer, and of course... Visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. Finally, the new outro song is today's special, Jam Tomorrow by Dr. Turtle. Have a good week and see you next Tuesday. Tuesday.